Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of going into space and finding out that you left... What was that thing again we've got over at that store, Trav? It was it was like, you know, on sale, and you decided that we were going to trade in our, our fragilator and our decoupling modulator for it? Oh yeah, we're going to need it to leave the planet anyways. Well, I guess we're not. Okay. Welcome to the uh, to Gaming on the Frontier. This week's episode is shipbuilding and ships. Are they important? Are they not important? Are they the heart of the game? Depends on the game, I guess. But we're going to talk about how to make it important and how, if it is important, how to get the most out of it. So I have... Uh, um, I've sent Trav, of course, a nice big spreadsheet like I usually do. Um, and... Um, and so the very first question, of course, is ships. We're talking, of course, we're talking about science fiction here. Are they important? You know, are they important to the game as an element other than uh, just something to get you from here to there? I mean, are they like a taxi? Are they like, you know, the family van or a, or a, a diesel 18-wheeler? If that's all they are, then there's no point in putting any real effort into it at all because, you know, the real action is once you get planet side or the real action is, you know, once you get to someplace and you go and change into perhaps other ships or or you, you start interacting with people on a space station. If that's where the real action is, then no, you, the, the shipbuilding isn't going to be important. It's not going to be anything that you care about. Uh, and if you do spend a lot of time on it, you're probably just wasting your time. Well, yeah, like in a, in a normal modern game, if the car or whatever vehicle is not going to be in the combat, you don't need to stat it. It's just, it's there. It's a conveyance. It's a plot device. Done. Yeah, a good example of this is Dune. All those humongous ships that the uh, Navigators Guild handle. You basically go up, get into ships, ships take you to a new planet, then you go down to the planet and all the action happens there. Nothing ever seems to happen in space. There's no space combat. Oh, yeah. So shipbuilding is not important. I mean, you know, if you if you're doing a movie, I guess you want to go and show what they look like or how big you want them to be or anything like that. I mean, that's visually important. But as far as the story, as far as your characters concerned, your passengers, you you know, nothing nothing's going to happen until you get there. You know, there's no interactions going on. But then if you have a movie like Passengers, where the entire thing takes place in a ship. Well, then what's in the ship might be a lot more important. Oh, the Chris Pratt, Jennifer Lawrence movie. Right, which I haven't seen because I kind of don't want to see it because uh, essentially it seems like, you know, he's abducting her, kind of, you know. 
And it, it just has gives me a really bad taste in my mouth about it. So I was like, I don't know if I want to watch this movie. It gets, you know, it's just, you know, it's not a romantic comedy if it's, uh, if, if basically they've entrapped one of the members of the romantic comedy. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's my big problem with it, you know, primarily. So, um, so I, I've been trying to, you know, just, uh, stay away from it. But the idea here is, is that, you know, the, uh, certain parts of the ship are going to be important. Now, when, uh, so when you, you talk about, you know, the ships then, okay, we have to, you know, you have to, again, it's, is it a reward mechanic in the game? You know, are, you know, is, is the ships, you know, like you get better ships and better ships and better ships, not because they do anything, but because they prove that you're hot stuff. Status you, symbol. You, it's a status symbol, right? I'm in the biggest, baddest ship in the in the quadrant. You know, like I mean, a lot of times in Star Wars, you know, it was, it's the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. You know, nobody gives gives that ship any respect. Okay, <laughs> but it, they manage to use it to get out of out of dodge a lot. You know, and so I'm I, I think that you know in that ship. Is is a problem because there's only a couple of systems on the ship that they ever even mention, and when they do, it's kind of hinky, you know, like the uh, the modulator that uh, Ray decides to just bypass. And you know, I, I love it how it should have ended. You know, she says, you know, you know that modulator, I bypass it. He goes, what? And then boom, <laughs> shows the ship blowing up. You know. So, uh, yeah, you don't usually bypass things like that. That's not a good thing. You just want to uh, use the ship as a, as a MacGuffin, basically. Then you just need to buy a ship that can carry the cargo that you want to take. You know, if you need to take, you know, a thousand colonists, you need a ship that can take a thousand colonists. You don't need to get into the nitty gritty about how many bathrooms there are and how good, it, you know, what's the uh, uh, success rate of the cryogenics or, you know, that kind of thing. You just buy the ship. There's a There may be a cost involved or, you know, but I mean, you just do it. Or, you know, you buy a ship that can get there in time. All right, you, we have to get all, you know, the, the whole... Uh, we were talking about Millennium Falcon, you know, that could do the, uh, oh, uh, the, the, the Corellian, uh, Kessel Run. What's that? Kessel Run. The Kessel Run, and, you know, in, in X number of parsecs. Okay. Well, originally, before they did the, uh, solo, okay, we understood that to be a, a, they were referring to how fast the ship was, you know, uh, and, so if you need to get the serum to the planet where everyone is dying, if you need to get the information back to the uh, headquarters before they send uh, half the fleet off someplace where it's going to, you know, not, the enemy isn't, and therefore making exposing an entire flank of the galaxy, then your ship has to, the ship you have, you need, has to be really, really fast. So, and, and nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how much shields are on it. It doesn't matter, you know, how, how much crew it takes to run it. It doesn't matter what the cargo space is. All that matters is how fast can it get you there. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, if you're doing a military-type situation, then you basically need a ship that can do whatever job it is that the, the, the people are telling you. You know, uh, we need you to go over there and take out this set of Corvettes. Well, okay, I'm going to need a ship that has guns. I'm going to need a ship that has 
shields or plating or something like that to protect me. And I don't really care about how fast I get there because you know that's all done off camera probably. And the crew's got to be enough so that if, if people start dying because of return fire, I can keep on going. Whatever you know, it's, it's it, it. Basically, you just look at the most important thing, and that's all you care about. And you really don't care about building the ship or the subsystems or anything else like that, other than what's absolutely necessary to fulfill the requirements of the uh, uh, the task you've been given. So, uh, but if you did decide that you wanted to do this, if you said, "Hey, I want to build a fleet." All right, now you got to start considering a lot of other factors. So what what would you have to consider, uh, Trav, if, if the campaign was military? What type of systems? Let's see, weapons, shields, sensors, hull, and like the composition of the armor, crew complement. Um, and I'm trying to recall, you know, like, because Robotech has this stuff and there's other stuff in Palladium. Um, the disposition of that crew as far as the number of gunners, technicians, the people in the CNC, the command and control section, bridge crew, if you have fighters on board these ships, if they're like carriers, how many pilots and techs you have for those ships. Oh, God, let's see. What else? Right. But you have this kind of, these 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 questions aren't going to come up and say, okay, fine, here's my spec. Every ship in the fleet is going to be exactly the same thing, Right. Is that going to happen? Well, it depends on the needs of the fleet. I mean, look in Star Wars. You have you have all your, your battleships, and then you always have a medical frigate. And it always seems to be the one that they always hit first. <laughs> I remember in, sec- in, in episodes, they hit the medical frigate. You know, they always... Because you know, you know, if you take that out, you're going to have... You know, you're not going to be able to, you know, um, resuscitate and aid your, your wounded people. But the, see, that's actually the opposite of what modern warfare does. Because in modern warfare, you'd want to leave that ship alone because then they'd have to take all these people, try to ferry the wounded from the ships where they're getting hurt over to the medical frigate instead of them saying, well, look, you know, the medical frigate's gone. We might as well just hunker down here behind our guns and blow the living you know, crap out of out of everybody on the other side because there's, you know, it's live or die folks. That's all there is, you see. And that changes the, uh, the, the nature of the warfare considerably. Well, yeah. If you've got, if you've got nothing left to lose, that's the most dangerous opponent. Right. And that's one of the reasons why in, in modern warfare, we always, they always try to respect the, uh, uh, the, the people that are the medical guys. Well, yeah, that, because, that's just like Geneva Convention type rules. You don't... But it's, it's not for that reason. It's not to be humane. It's because it, it takes resources away from the other side. They have to put resources into saving their wounded so those resources aren't on the front line shooting back at you. It's a tactical reason to do that. It's good warfare tactics to let the other side take their wounded. Hmm. Okay, yeah. So I'm just saying is it so yeah, it's weird that they do that. You know, when they really that should be the last ship they should be attacking. If you have ships whose main purpose is to, you know, act as a barrier, as a, as a massive shields uh again you know, that other ships can stay behind. They don't have to have the best of uh, sensors, for example, 
They've got other ships that can feed them information and, and tell them things that they need to know. They could be essentially blind, and all they need to know is I need to rotate left, you know, three degrees. I need to rotate down five degrees. I need to put seventy, you know, seventy percent of my, uh, you know, uh, of my power resources to the the top and 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 third quadrant. You know, because that's where, you know, the, the the best fighters of the enemy are going to be attacking. So those ships, they don't need to have really powerful engines in them. They don't need to have, uh, as you said, they don't need to have doctor facilities uh, if you have a medical ship. Uh, they don't even need to have good, like, return weaponry. Okay, they just, you know, except maybe close-in stuff. Like the Battlestar Galactica, it it had all this weaponry that worked really well close to the ship, but outside of that, all they had were the big nukes that they saved to fire at the base stations. Against all the other ships, they sent out fighters because that wasn't how they were designed to operate. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm saying is that depending upon what how you want your your tactics to operate in your fleet, you will you may you specialize the roles that these ships have, and so you're going to have to you're going to make decisions because if you don't, you end up wasting resources on capabilities for ships who don't need them. Yeah, I remember in episode eight they had these ships that were specifically the bombers where they were coming over the dreadnought and they just dropped all the bombs. They just like right. fell out of a rack. And that's all those ships did. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. they were living munitions dumps, so if one hit, all those bombs went off. And I just kind of looked at that. I was like, eh, I don't know. I mean, you have bombers, but I mean, they were ill protected and just, yeah. I wouldn't have... Yeah, they were ill protected. They, they should have either had more shields... Or they should have had, you know, more fighters out there in front of them. Yeah, that that whole concept. I just when I saw episode eight, I was just, uh, you know, I was just kind of shaking my head and just no, it's not a sound decision. Just yeah, I didn't care for that type of particular ship. It was it was a good idea. I think the plan was right. I just think that they executed it in a dumb way in the movie. That's all. Well, they were also trying to flee, remember. They were, you know, trying to get the heck off that one planet. I know, I know. But they committed themselves to doing this. In fact, is that's all there was. And yeah, that was a stupid move. But with a very small number of ships, they were able to take out a majorly a big threat. That was like a super ship. Yeah. And they took it out with a couple of bombers and a couple of X-Wing fighters. That was definitely a win in most in most battles. The problem was that it really... You know, in, in the number of people that they had left, you know, that that's when most people would say, okay, you know, let's talk about terms of surrender. Yeah. They didn't have the forces to fight any of that. I'm saying in a real battle where you're really planning this, okay, yeah, you have to make decisions that, you know, you don't waste resources on things that you're not going to use. You know, if, you, uh, if you're not going to use, you know, thermal you know, nukes, then you don't need to fill your ships full of them. You don't need to buy them from uh, weaponsmiths over on some planet, you know, with horse races. Okay, you, you know, if you can't use it, don't spend resources on it. So, so you have to know what's available to you. If you're going to build ships, you have to know what what are the subsystems that you can have. And if you do have subsystems, do the, are do the subsystems all come in the same flavor, or are there 
other things about each one that you can get. Are the subsystems compatible with each other? Because that that could be a whole different issue, you know, with a when you're dealing with a galactic culture where every ship may have its own, you know, electrical standards for its weaponry or shields or propulsion or anything else. Yeah, like American and European voltage where you got to have the converter. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, with a galactic culture like in, say, Star Wars, I mean, if it's a galactic culture, interstellar, where they're all trading with each other, they would come to a standard as far as tab A fitting into slot B, and it works because they've needed this type of standardized ship design in order to facilitate the ships that do trade that keep this galactic community going. If you do have weaponsmiths, they're going to want to sell to more than one group of people. Well, yeah, I mean, you had, well, oh God, what? and I ran a Star Wars campaign, the Kuat shipyards. Those were like the biggest shipyards in the Star Wars galaxy, so you know they had all the parts for all the different ships that they knew about. They had to because they were, the, they were as far as shipbuilders, they were the people to beat. If you went, if you went, got your ship from the Kuat shipyards, that was the best in the game. So they, you know, that they had to have all the parts for all the different ships that all these cultures came about making, and got the they, these ships got them into this galactic community. So I would think right. something on the level of Star Wars, they would have all the different nuts and bolts and screws and systems in order to facilitate galactic trade. All right, so you're saying that if you do, if you uh, if you do have you know, shipbuilding and things like that, we shouldn't have to worry about does is this part compatible with that part? That's already going to be handled behind the scenes by the people who makes their money by making sure that parts are compatible. Yeah, the only way I would think that would happen is if you're in a game where you come upon, let's say, a new system. And they only have interstellar travel. And you happen to come upon this system. And something happens to your ship. Now you got to sit there and fi figure a way. And this could be an adventure in and of itself. To hybridize this new technology, which is only used for their ships, with your ship. Uh -huh. In order to get out of this system and get back home. As I said, that could be an adventure in and of itself. Because that will give your tech characters a chance like okay, this system, it's like this, okay, we got to try to find some interface to merge these two technologies together and hope it gets us home, you know. Right. Sort of like Doc Brown trying to use uh, 1950s uh, cap capacitors and and uh, electrodes to make his uh, <laughs> his flux capacitor work. Well, it's like him making eighteen using 1890s stuff to make a refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> and all this big contraption just to make a cube of ice to go in his iced tea. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's the thing I so, remember. <laughs> right. So in those kind of situations where you're dealing with emergent technology, then sure, you're going to have to deal with these incompatibilities. And there's going to have to be a good reason to do it. Like you say, your, your ship's broken and you need to use their parts in order to get it going again, at least long enough for you to be able to get someplace to get it properly fixed sure sure you know a lot of times you know the decisions that you make make other decisions for you uh, if you decide that you want to outfit your ship with beam weapons for example first of all those those take enormous power requirements 
So you're going to have to get generators or something in your ship to be able to fire those weapons, you know, to provide enough power to do that. And then you've got to say, okay, how, you know, there's always going to be a, a, a heat, you know, uh, excess from that sort of thing. So how do I get rid of the heat? Uh, you could do it by using some kind of a fluid that gets ejected along with the beam that basically blows the heat out into space and gets rid of it. Or you have to have a large mass in your ship that absorbs the heat for a time until it gets filled up. Okay. And that takes up space in your ship. It also acts as a, a lot of mass to your ship in, in most cases uh, so that you end up needing bigger engines to move that that uh, that mass or it's taking up cargo space on your ship because of that. So these these shipbuilding type uh, decisions can affect things. And you can't just go and say, oh, well, then fine. We're, we're, we're just going to use uh, slug throwers. Okay, well, all right. So now you're carrying the slugs. You're carrying mass. And how are you firing this? Okay, are you firing it with a big explosion? If you are, then, okay, maybe that's going out into space and that's going away. But if you're using some kind of electromagnetic pulse to send that thing forward, that produces, yeah, that produces a lot of heat. Now we need that, that uh, thermal mass again to absorb the heat from your, uh, uh, from, from your accelerator. And, and, and we're back, you know, either to the same place. Now, maybe it's a little more efficient to throw slugs, but then slugs travel at some considerable sp uh, speed less than the speed of light, while lasers and other beam weapons travel at the speed of light. Uh, but then slugs will fire right through um, a asteroid field or um, a, uh, uh, a gas cloud or something like that, and just and hit the target on the other side as long as it doesn't get stopped by something directly, while a beam might get dispersed by that kind of situation and not and be totally ineffective at range, which is why you usually buy beam weapons is because you want to hit things that are far away. If you if the ships are fighting each other right next to each other, then slug throwers are great. They're they're just fine. They work just fine. So what I'm saying is is that that the choices that you make for things, for the various systems on your ship will also be a, have to be factored into the things that are required to support them and how it changes, you know, the amount of power that's available for other things in your ship, other things in your ship's operation, or even, you know, you might have to get like a bigger power plant to run all of this. So putting this this one gun on your ship might turn into a huge expenditure because you have to retrofit things. You have to, uh, uh, you have to add another, uh, another cargo hole because, you know, you, you want to still be able to carry your cargo where you're going. So one thing has a cascades effect a lot of times. And so that also goes into building the ship and, and making these decisions. Yeah, usually I notice with ships, and this is probably just a convention science fiction, you often have one system that's really, really good at the sacrifice of others, such as the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, it has weapons on it. Yeah, it's got shields on it. 
but it's that hyperdrive. Once it kicks in, boom, end of game, you're done, you're out of there. But you have, like, just enough weapons and shields to get you to where you can get to a point and jump. There's no massive, like, you know, in Robotech, a synchro cannon on the Falcon. No, I think all it has is the top and bottom turret and I think maybe guns in the front that come out of the, the, the protuberances there. That's it. And it's got shields that they can adjust to whatever quadrant, like if they're being chased, put everything on rear shields. Right. The hyperdrive is the big thing. Most ships I see have that. They've got one system which outdoes the other two. They often have the three systems, but it's just one of those systems is often better than the others, and that's kind of the claim to fame to the ship. Right. Yeah, the, the Millennium Falcon is really good at evading until he gets a tractor beam on it. Once that happens, it's over. They just have to, they just have to sit it out and try to get away some other way later, which is what they do, in, uh, especially in um, Episode 5, uh, The Empire Strikes Back. That's all about, I mean, half the movie is about them evading the Empire while being right next to them at the same time. The maneuverability of the ship is uh, far, obviously far greater than the X-Wings or, or the, I forget, is it the Y-Wings? The, this, the, the Empire? No, those are TIE yeah. Fighters. TIE Fighters, that's what I meant. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, a lot of times you have to make a decision as to where do I want to put my money? What's going to be important? You know, uh, Han Solo put his money into, uh, into his propulsion unit because he was, uh, he, he, he was basically a smuggler. He needed to take high, valuable items from one location to another location. His ship wasn't designed to be a ship of, of the uh, in a war. You know, it wasn't particularly designed for stealth, uh, though it the, he, did, he was able to do some stuff. Mostly, it was his maneuverability and its a speed and its speed in getting up to where he could fight, go in the light speed. That was really what it was all about. And that was a great decision that he made because it saved their bacon a bunch of times. Yeah. But somebody else might decide to do something differently. You know, you have a ship and you don't want to, you know, you want to put all of your money, let's say, into shielding and such. So, you know, the TIE fighters come up to you and they're like blasting away at you, but none of them are getting through your shields because you're just too much of a brute for that to make any difference at all. And everything's everything's copacetic, right up to the point where you know the big um, triangular ships show up. Yeah, and then now you're in trouble. So you know that's a trade-off. But it might, you know. But meanwhile, you're accelerating up to light speed. They're running along. They're firing stuff at you. They're not doing anything to you, you know. And then you go into light speed and leave them behind. And it's like you know, was a, you know, we had a little bit of a bother back there, sir. But everything's fine, Captain. This is all great. <laughs> well, it's kind of like with um, Moya from Farscape. She had no weapons because she was a, a peaceful being. And the only shield they had was something cobbled together from a Peacekeeper command carrier known as the Zelbinian. Her thing was Starburst, where she just sort of slipped in between dimensions and frittered away. And often, at first, they were random jumps. After a while, though, Pilot got to catalog the jumps and they could go back to previous locations. But that was the Leviathan's main system. It's what they they grew. It, it, it was how they grew to starburst, allow them to travel among the stars. 
the shield was cobbled together and they used it a little bit during the second season of Farscape and then finally just died in a big explosion. They got rid of it. But they had shields and they were intermittent for, I think, maybe four or five episodes. And then just because it was an old system and they tried to fuse it with the, um, the Leviathan, they had it for a while. And it was more a plot device. Because I think they, the shields even were a part of the episode where they got their minds all switched. But yeah, that was the main thing that Moya was known for was maneuverability and long distance flight at the the definite sacrifice of uh, weaponry and shield. So yeah, I that's just a convention I've noticed in shipbuilding. You have the one system which outdoes the rest and you have the others right. and they're kind of okay. Right. But if you really don't have those other systems and you're relying on just that one, that could cause a problem. Right. And a lot of times these systems will require ships of a certain size or configuration to be able to do it. Like I was talking about, you have to have a big enough power plant and things like that. You know, uh, putting a, a, a slug thrower on the front of a gunship is probably not going to work because unless you're going against other gunships, of course. Uh, because of the fact is that any real, like, if you fire off a cannon, it's going to have a, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to have recoil. And, you know, you could just literally implode your ship by doing that if you have a powerful enough gun. But a beam weapon, on the other hand, you know, doesn't have any recoil. So, but at the same time, is it if it if it does have these issues about getting rid of heat? You know, you're in a small gunship; you don't have room to put a big, you know, uh, thermal mass to absorb that heat. So you might only be able to get a couple of shots off before your gun, your ship is basically unable to operate after that. Okay, it might the the best possible solution might actually be missiles, because missiles would have this the, the acceleration that. Um, that a, a slug thrower would have, uh, a cannon would have, uh, and it would carry its own, you know, it would carry the heat of its of its operation away from the ship, so you wouldn't need all that, you know, uh, that thermal mass that you would uh, with the uh, with the beam thrower. The only real downside of, of these things is that they uh, they don't they're not very good at the beginning because they don't have a, a, any real ex they have to accelerate. Rather, you know, rather than being fired out of a, a barrel that provides a lot of initial velocity, they accelerate up to velocity, and so they're better at a medium range. Uh, so you, you, you might end up in a situation where somebody literally is so close to you that if you fire on them, then, you know, unless the warhead on the missile takes punches a hole in the ship, you're not actually going to be able to do anything to them. So... Um, so there's these factors to consider. Uh, uh, you know, I, I was mentioning how you might need a really big, powerful uh, uh, device to go produce like shields. Well, you could say in your game, you could say things like, "Well, above a certain size, ship shields collapse. So only the small ships have shields. The big ships they just have armor plating like crazy." 
You know, they they use they use uh, point you know uh, like Vulcans and things to uh, provide support. They throw chaff out because they have all that space because they're bigger ships to throw that stuff out around the ship, and they use those kinds of deterrents because they can't actually throw up shields. Usually, yeah, the no. conventions I see is that bigger ships have the shields because they have the power capacity to erect those shields. Right. Smaller ships rely on speed and maneuverability to not get hit. That's the convention I usually see. And I've seen that convention, and I'm saying there's you can reverse that if you want to. For that, I would say, in order for smaller ships to have shielding like that, the tech level would have to be higher because you need to have... Okay, for like a big ship, you're going to have the huge generator which supplies everything. Now, if you want your smaller ships to have those shields as well... Your energy requirements, the the size, your the the technology to make smaller yet powerful generators to give your ships shields, the tech level would have to be higher. Now, I'll again, folks, D twenty parlance. It's what I'm good at. You would have to have the minimum PL eight technology to be making generators that could fit within like a trans-atmospheric fighter, in order to give it shields. Now, like PL-7, you may not have that just because that's not quite high enough tech level. That's that gravity age where, yeah, the bigger ships, because they might have, like, gravitic shields and that just goes off the gravity induction engine. But once you get to the energy age where you're starting to get into matter-energy transmission, you can make those smaller generators to give your fighters and shuttles decent shielding right and that's where you you get into these situations where you have these more advanced cultures who are going to offer these kinds of things to people at a higher price well you yeah know? because if you want to protect your little your little roundabout you know uh little skimmer that takes you from you know planet to moon and back and you want those shields on there, yeah, you're going to pay through the nose. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you want to sit your, you know, sit yourself over top of an active volcano, you know, on this, on a pleasure cruise, then you're going to need superior shielding. Yeah. 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 And, and that's where the, you know, the reward part of the, the game comes back into play where it's like, okay, you know, if this is a mission, you know, that somebody with deep pockets you know, wants me to go do, then yeah, sure. Okay. We're going to go and uh, we're going to go on this mission and either they're going to provide us with a ship that has all this, or they're going to provide us with what we need in order to complete the mission. And maybe our payment is we get to keep that part. Yeah. And that's one way of doing things. You, you, uh, uh, there's a couple of video games I've been playing that have a lot to do with ships and upgrading them over time and things like that and i've seen it done both ways where one is is where you can buy better of whatever it is better engines better shields better sensors you know and of course it costs more money more credits you know and you can trade in your old stuff for the new stuff and so you slowly upgrade your really one ship you know, into something better and better as the as the campaign progresses. Okay, or they do the, the alternate, which is everybody has the same basic ship, uh, basic system. But what we do is we add this upgrade, this enhancement to it, 
And that that basically tweaks it in one direction or another. Maybe uh, this this little thing we add onto the engine gives the gives a a, a top cruising acceleration, or another enhancement that gives you a really high acceleration at, at, at the beginning and then it eases off once you get past a certain point. And so you get slower acceleration at the top, but it lets you punch out of places. But you, but if you have to go a long distance, the other one would be would have been the better choice. Unless, of course, you're being shot at, in which case anything that gets you out and survive is going to be the better choice, even if it takes you longer to get there. So, you know, so there's there's the basic system plus enhancements, and the enhancements can be uh, improved depending upon you know the, how much money you have or what people you come in contact with, with what tech level, or it can be a mix where you can increase the the, the base uh, part and you can also get enhancements that increase it as well, depending upon which way you want to drive your your uh, enhancements. So. Uh, and there's all, and there should be a trade-off in here somewhere because you shouldn't be able to do everything. Uh, because if you do, then well, you know, <laughs> then you truly are playing an have an Uber ship that can do everything. Yeah, you're and, being and a power gamer or a Munchkin or a Min Master. Well, yeah, there's a couple of of book series where that happened. Where I don't know if you're familiar with the Skylark of Space series by E. Doc Smith. I think I may have heard of it by E. Doc Smith. Yeah, the guy who did Lensman. Yeah, that I know of. Yeah. Yeah. That, okay. Well, you know, in the Skylark and Space series, each each Skylark was like a whole, you know, it's like a quantum leap higher of the one that was previous to it. And so, it, and by the time you got to the end of it, you had a ship that could take on pretty much any other ship it might ever run into. But oh, wait a second, we need to basically conquer a galaxy. Now, what do we do? Oh, well, then we're going to have to do something else. But the point was, that until they got to that point, it was a matter of going to going to more and more ancient races with more and more technology to build bigger and better ships, so that they could then defeat. The entire opposing force with a single ship. Ah, so unlike the Lensman series, where they were really building ships of all kinds, and you had your, your basically your 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 ships that were basically nothing but long range weapon platforms, and they stood in front of the cap the command ships and gave them protection, and the command ships would send out fighters who would then try to flank around the you know the, the ships on the other side and 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 attack or they'd have stealth capability. Uh one of the cute things they did in this in the uh uh in the Lesbian series was they said, well the the problem is is that they see us coming. Because we're, you know, we have these big, massive ships. So how can we, you know, how can we change that? And so they figured out a way of making a ship that had all, absolutely no iron in it. The most iron that was in the ship was the iron that was in the bloodstream of the pilot <laughs> inside the ship. Everything else was made out of plastic or something like that. And so they literally had ships that were flying around and nobody could see them. And they were sending back information in the middle of the armada of the enemy saying, yeah, they got so many of these and so many of that and so many of that. So they, they were able, the other side was able to formulate a war plan that said, okay, well, if they only got X number of, of these, these destroyer types, then we'll go and send 
We'll, we'll, we'll send our bigger ships against those because we have enough that we can take those out and then we can just start cleaning up the rest once those guys are out of the way. And that was one of the, one of the, the things they had in one of the books was that was that changed the whole nature of warfare was because they were able to say, what is it that, that we, what can we do that will make everything different if we do this? Okay. And that's where a lot of enhancements become really important. That's why in a lot of video games, other things, you have this, this, there's this place, there's this alien race. Okay. If you can only get to them and steal one of their ships, then everything will be different. You know, you'll get the super, you'll get the super laser or you'll get the, uh, uh, the shield that nobody can knock down or you'll, you know, you'll, you'll, get the ability to just jump around any way you want to and catch them with their pants down. I mean, there's always, you know, that's the MacGuffin that you see in a lot of these, these video games and a lot of RPGs and that drives the plot in a lot of cases. So I kind of get that. Matter of fact, I'm using this in my Friday game. It's a D20 thing. Uh, it's made for pulp, but it has this type of thing. It's called Rocket Rangers, King of the Rocket Men. It's by a uh, battlefield press. And they have this system, and it's the Vega system. And, you know, the pulp adventurers rock it out there to try to free the system from one of the races having taken it over. And there's one race there. You've got, let's see, lizarding, you know, reptilian, human-like, big, hairy, tundra-living. And then you got these dolphin men who, they're total pacifists. But their technology is above everybody else. And if you want shielding and cloaking, they build that. That's how they hide their cities from the humanoids conquering them. They are total, absolute pacifists. They abhor war. They are scientists and technicians first. But if you can convince these Thessalons to help you out because you plead your case enough, you will have the best shielding and the best cloaking where... The humanoid ships, the Farlands, won't even be able to see you. And if mm -hmm. they do hit you, nothing's going to get through. Excuse me, that's what these Thessalons excel at. You ask right. them to make them a weapon, and they're like, no, we don't do that. You, you've come to the wrong right. place. In the Old Man's War, uh, the, uh, that series, there's a race that's like super, super, you know, uh, powerful and stuff like that, but they seem to be very disinterested in what goes on with the other races. Unless, of course, you give them, you somehow manage to capture their attention and and uh, make them an offer they can't refuse. So there was this one race that really had a Jones for another race. They've been preying on each other for millennia, you know, taking over each other's planets. And they and this one race said, "Fine." He says, "You know, I." Uh, we really we want to take these guys out, okay, forever. Period. You know, you, you know, scorched ground. You know, you know, kill their 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 livestock and everything. Okay, will you? You know, we will do anything you ask if you will give us a weapon we can use to take them out. And they said, "Well, all right, we'll do that." He says, "Okay, what's it going to take? You have to sacrifice half of your population first. They said, what? He says, yeah, you're going to have to commit suicide or, you know, I don't know. You, you decide, but half of your population has to be dead. And then we'll give you the device you're asking for. So they 
had to ask themselves, do we trust these people enough to do this? And do we now actually really want to do this enough to lose half of our population to take out this other side? Well, yeah, it's along the lines of, yeah, your your enemy's population is totally destroyed, but still half your population is gone. And they have to. They have to believe that these guys who are mostly disinterested are actually going to keep their bar, going to keep the bargain. Well, if these people that come up and want to, you know, take out this other race, if half their race is dead after a while, they're going to have their own problems to deal with. And well, also, if you get that powerful, if this race that you talked about that offered, you know, kill off half your own race and then we'll give you something to take out this race entirely, if you yeah. get that powerful, that's why you're disses that disinterested in others politics because if you're just that powerful you're going to get to a point like we don't care what the rest of the universe does because no one can hurt us it it i can see why they were just like eh if they were that if they had you know damn near god tech yeah they did and uh and so in the story, what happens is they they finally yeah you know, they agree they go in they kill half their population you know with the the, the terrible repercu- social repercussions that means they get the weapon they go out they destroy the other side eliminate them entirely and then they're like okay now we're going to take over all their planets and stuff oh we don't have enough people to do that. So we're going to take over X number, and meanwhile, all these other races that were out there just swoop in and take the other planets that they were on. So they end up with a little bit more than what they had before, but not the the the, the, the dreams of glory that drove them to do this in the first place just never get realized. Well, yeah, because they, they did the unthinkable. It's like when you get into war, that's the whole point. You don't always know what you're going to have to do in order to achieve this total victory that you dream of because you get so wrapped up in the war you don't realize okay exactly what cost are we going to have in order to achieve this ideal goal and it it, yeah the social repercussions it's like we wiped out our half our we sacrificed half our race to achieve victory now, if there isn't such a term as Pyrrhic victory, I don't know what is. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I forget exactly that. I think someone finally went and asked, the, you know, the, the, the race, you know, why did you do this deal? And I, I, don't, I don't remember, but, I, but one of the possible answers was, we just wanted to see if they would do it. Oh, what? They, somebody asked the God Tech race? Yeah, and they said, oh. we just wanted to see if they were willing to do that. It's like the whole, I think, God and Job. It's like, yeah. no, 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 we didn't want you to actually kill your son. I didn't think you actually do it. Jeez, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Abraham and Isaac, right. Yeah, thank right. you, yeah. Right, yeah, that that one. Yeah, so um, so if you have this this kind of situation, you're going, you know, you have all these things that come into play uh, as in, in the money aspect. And, of course, once you have that super weapon, everybody's going to want to get it from you, right? Because you'd be the ship the beat and you know if you've gotten some of your ships at this point by stealing other people's ships then people are going to be trying to steal your ship too because you're the one with the super you know if, you, if you're flying around with the most tricked out spaceship in the soul in the galaxy everybody's going to want that ship oh yeah yeah 
And that's one of the biggest problems in a TriTac game uh, uh, incursion is that they're flying around with one of, the, one of 12 legendary starships. And you add, yeah. you know, the Constantner Light Force tr- wanting, and they try to do it honestly at first. They, you know, they'll try to just buy it off and give you a ship. And then when that didn't work, that's when they got nasty. And then, of course, anybody who came along, because all these cultures fell after the Enchanty left, all of a sudden, these were the hottest commodities in the in the spiral arm, which was, oh, if you have an Enchanty ship, you can do anything. So if it was found out that you had an Enchanty ship, you had the biggest amount of red dots on you because everybody was looking to get that ship and they would do anything to do it because they realized in the end we're going to get god tech and that's what the enchanty had right but once you have it everybody wants to take it from you yeah yeah <laughs> yeah which which they they really got away uh, away from in uh incursion 2 because in that case they literally went into a starport and they said oh all those things that were on that ashani ship yeah you can buy them we'll put it on your ship it was like it wasn't special anymore. Right, yeah. Well, also, you find out that from, um, because I'm using Incursion 2 as part of the Friday game, you know, the whole what you call gnomes in space thing. Yeah, they said, yeah, you guys got screwed. What do you mean? Well, they put all secondhand tech on your ship. Yes, to you, it's it's god tech, but trust me, there's better stuff out there. You got all secondhand parts be- <laughs> for the uranium that you gave us. Or what? What was that? The, that Twepo had said you got frackle frackle zooped. It's <laughs> a nice way of saying screwed. Okay. Yes, yes. Because you don't know what's valuable, so you were you were handing off something that you thought wasn't very valuable at all. But in the galaxy, it's actually extremely valuable. Well, yeah, they didn't so. know. Yeah, the, the 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 crew of the Chalk River had no idea that fissionable materials were the top currency. Right. The nuclear reactor on board that sub for them, you know, they, the captain said we, we could have bought the starport, and the 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 groomlaw said no, you could have bought the planet. What? <laughs> exactly. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts, is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license, no commercial reproduction, and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.